Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, another week in which to engage you on the richness and beauty of not only the book of Genesis, as we do on Monday and Tuesday, but uh, the Christian Catholic faith as a whole. As you know, if you are a faithful listener on Wednesday, Father Mike joins me and we talk about a movie, and then of course on Thursday I respond to your questions. By way of preview to this week, on Wednesday, Father Mike is joining me to talk about the movie The Impossible, that movie that captures the incredible tale uh, of a family that was initially torn apart by the tsunami, but miraculously um, brought back together. So Father Mike and I will talk about The Impossible. And then on Thursday, I will have a special guest, uh, my nephew Aaron, a fine young man who has something important to share. He is a great athlete, and he's recognized for his athletic prowess. Um, but his story to tell, I think, is is one for all of us. As Thursday, we will talk about a great deal, the importance of finding our identity and not what we do, but first and foremost, who we are. So that's what we have to look forward to. As far as today and tomorrow is concerned, again, we are in the book of Genesis. And so let us pick up where we left off last week, more or less in the middle of Genesis chapter 30, Genesis chapter 30 is approximately 43 verses, and the second half of chapter 30 really focuses in on uh, Jacob, and after years of, of loyal service, how Jacob is ready to move his family back to Canaan, okay? But Laban, as we've been talking about Laban recently, tries to manipulate him into staying, and as the story unfolds in really a game of wits, if you will, um, Jacob, in the end, outsmarts Laban, gaining the upper hand. So that's some of what we are going to talk about this evening. I did want to use tonight to talk about magic, because we do have Laban uh, using divinization. So I thought tonight would be, this evening would be a good opportunity to reflect into the occult a little bit, as well as a few other key verses, I think, uh, that we have here from verses 25 to 43. All right, so with that, if you want to open up your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 30, and turn to verse 25, and there we begin. When Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know the service which I have given you. Okay, so remember what we talked about last week as it relates to uh, Jacob's love for Rachel, the beautiful daughter. Uh, verse 27, but Laban said to him, If you will allow me to say so, I have learned by divinization that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when I shall provide for my own household also, 
He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again feed your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the he-goats that were striped and spotted, and all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plain, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the runnels, that is, the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the rods, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs, set the faces of the flocks toward the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban, and he put his own droves apart, and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob laid the rods and the runnels before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the rods. But for the feebler of the flock, he did not lay them there. So the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man grew exceedingly rich, and had large flocks, maidservants, and men servants, and camels, and donkeys. All right, so what's going on there in, in verses 37 to 43, as many commentaries highlight, ancient herdsmen believed that uh, visual stimuli could affect the offspring of breeding animals. So Jacob resorts to this measure with great success. He has the goats stare at the streaked rods while mating and has the sheep stare at the dark colored goats while mating. And ultimately, this brings about uh, the desired results. I found that those series of verses fascinating. Uh, anyhow, I want to go back to verse 27. But Laban said to him, If you will allow me to say so, I have learned by divinization that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. So what's this business of divinization? Certainly the church makes a very, very strong a firm stance on the occult, on this business of divinizing the divine, if you will. There was some pieces I was reading online in relationship with uh, Scripture and, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I came across a piece written by Wendy McMahon, and she, just by way of opening, goes to that all-important passage that comes to us from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For there we read, "...for our struggle is not with flesh and blood." but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. My friends, <laughs> in this passage, we have a picture of the invisible air, if you will, that surrounds us and those spiritual beings who occupied, even if we don't see them. From the moment we were born, 
There has been a battle raging for each one of our souls. And as many of us know, each and every one of us has been given a guardian angel, right? An angel to lead us on the path toward God and, and away from the world, away from those principalities, this present darkness, away from the devil. What does it mean to, to speak of the devil? Well, if you're to turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 414, I think you have a nice tightened up definition of, of what we mean to talk about when we speak to the devil or Satan. This is paragraph 414. Satan or the devil and the other demons are fallen angels who freely refuse to serve God and his plan. Their choice against God is definitive. And as such, they try to associate man in the revolt against God. So as sacred scripture reminds us, we know that Satan is the father of all lies. And what does it mean to say that Satan is the father of all lies? Well, first and foremost, it means that he does not possess any truth in himself. So the best he can do is plagiarize rightfully what belongs to God. This is what he does in the Garden of Eden. And what does he plagiarize? What does he manipulate? Well, our freedom, first and foremost. And what does he use? Our sexuality, right? He was subtle. The, the Hebrew there is exploiting nakedness. I think the Hebrew word is a nahash, to exploit nakedness. He was subtle. And what he did thousands of years ago is what he is still doing today, presenting our sexuality to us as something that it is not. What is that great secular maxim, but what is sex if not for pleasure? Well, brothers and sisters, I am here to tell you, as I have said on more than one occasion, especially in our series on theology of the body, that yes, our sexuality does come to us from God. That as we are created in the image and likeness of God, yeah, that includes our sexuality. And when two become one, that is a profound expression of the oneness of God. That the pleasure we seek in that two becoming one is actually a seeking of God. But don't think for a second, of course, that this is something autonomous from the call to lay down our life for our beloved. This is the great revolution of love that Jesus reveals to us on the cross. Yeah, we know the verse from Ephesians 5 that talks about the women being submissive to their husband, but what about the husband laying their life down for the wife like Christ laid down his life for the church? So the two becoming one should never be reduced just to what is sexual per se, inasmuch as how the male lays down his life for his bride ultimately is what enriches and makes all the more beautiful that two becoming one. And of course, all within the sacramental embrace. Now, that being said, because Satan and his demons were once angels, it is important to note that they still retain the supernatural powers God gave them before they fell, and they use them to tempt us toward sin. Remember, Satan is the tempter, capital T. He is the one who definitively tempts. He is literally the one who tempts. He is the one who throws something into the middle of the road to divert us from the path of holiness. Where does the word devil come from? 
but the Greek diabolos or diabolane, to scatter. I always find it to be a fascinating truth to ponder the meaning of ponder. The Greek there is symbolane. Symbolane in the Greek translates as to come together, to bring together, to come to understand something in light of a discerning heart, a pondering heart. Isn't that fascinating that you have these two Greek words that we are made to juxtapose, symbolane and diabolane. Symbolane, ponder. Diabolane, the devil. How do we overcome the devil? How do we overcome the tempter? How do we avoid all of those side glances that preoccupy us each and every day, all the time, all day, but by pondering the deeper meaning of each and every moment and each and every encounter. And we do that by imitating Mary's own pondering. She was pondering, that was Mary, that is Mary, the significance of finding Jesus in the temple. She was pondering all the things that had, that had transpired in her life. And so it is we, my friends, too, should be busy about pondering each and every moment in the light of the whole, in the light of what God is desiring to reveal to us. And when we do that, when we ponder, yes, we overcome the devil, the tempter, the one who wishes to divert us from the path of holiness. Now, God limits those powers given to Satan. But even so, what we must realize is that they, that is Satan and the demons, are far more intelligent than we are. You see, Satan has supreme intelligence. They observe us and are therefore privy to our weaknesses, and they use those flaws to pull us into sin and to tear us away from God. They whisper lies into our minds and do everything in their power to influence us in our way of thinking. Satan never grows weary. Satan will never stop trying to destroy us until we die. There is no ceiling to Satan's work. And I want us to appreciate this because what we have to come to understand is, is that Satan doesn't have sympathy for us. Satan doesn't have compassion for us. Satan is the enemy of God. So anything that rightfully belongs to God, he is the antithesis of that. So if God is infinite wisdom, infinite goodness, infinite beauty, infinite mercy, Satan is the opposite. And he would like for you to think that he cares. This was another enchanting enticement of the adversary in the Garden of Eden. Oh, God doesn't care. I'm the one who cares. I am the one who is all in. That's the enchanting enticement. I am the one who wants what's best for you. Right? Okay. So, <laughs> what does all of this have to do with the divinization or the occult? Well, everything, because once we understand this, we will then understand how Satan uses the occult, as the occult itself is nothing more than, as I've already noted, a divinization of the divine, a parody, a hijacking, a plagiarizing of the divine, a plagiarizing of the sacred. If there's anything that Satan is after, it is our idea of what is sacred by offering to us a parody of what is sacred. And that, my friends, brings us to the occult. As uh, Wendy McMahon points out here in her article, I think this to be such a valuable point. She says, 
it cannot be denied that in the world today, what is good is seen as bad and what is bad is seen as good. This sad reality has been accepted by many people, but it is an epidemic among our youth and young adults, especially within the occult and the new age movement. And I would add here, especially as these mediums of evil are presented as goods that liberate us. Many people are drawn into the occult because the world makes it so attractive and at once so accessible. If you were to question this, next time you go downtown in in your local city, look north, south, east, west, you're probably going to find a shop devoted to tarot cards, Ouija boards, magic, so on and so forth. They're everywhere. They make it accessible because, my dear friends, the culture of death has found its way in many of our cities, if not all of our cities. And and if we're going to be honest, it has even infiltrated uh, the Catholic Church. If you were to Google, say, Catholic retreats online, unfortunately, and again, this is a point that Wendy McMahon makes, you will find a long list of pagan and Eastern religious practices taking place at these quote-unquote Catholic retreat centers. What might this include? Well, energy therapies. Uh, What else will you find? Uh, Training workshops on an eco-spirituality that is more concerned with creation than it is with man. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. None of these really have anything to do with Catholicism or, for that matter, any authentic Christian spirituality. Yet, tragically so, we find these kinds of things being taught and encouraged at many, far too many retreat centers. It's a tragedy because it gives the laity searching for God a false sense of God, a false sense of security. And in the end, unfortunately, opens them up to false gods and and false religions that are totally contrary to divine revelation and sacred scripture. Make it a mockery of ultimately what is true, good, and beautiful. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is the one true God. And you are not going to find him in some sort of energy therapy based upon some Eastern religious practice. I had received a question recently. Joe, what is it that makes Eastern religious practices so wrong? Well, I would say that in some of these practices, there is a total focus on I. They are I-centered and not God-centered. If meditation is placed on anything other than Christ himself, it may open a door to the demonic. And this, my friends, is what lies at the heart of it. When Laban is talking about demonization, he's not talking about something that belongs to the one true God. No, he was too focused on the I, the ego, and the ego drama, not on God, the thou, and the theodrama. All right, what else could we say about demonization? Well, and here I want to turn our attention a little bit to Father Amorth, as as does Wendy McMahon. There are a great number of New Age practices that we see really every day. Um, These might include dream catchers, crystals, horoscopes, that's the big one, of course, astrology, numerology, uh, psychics, tarot cards, and again, the list goes on and on. Unfortunately, 
people do not know the dangers they put themselves in by participating in these occultic practices. And let me define something here. I just used the word occult again. I want to make sure we are clear in our language. The word cult comes from the Latin word cultus, which simply means to worship, to till, but also to worship. Occult is the plagiarizing of true worship. That's what the occult means to the cult. And, and for some of us, that might not be a big deal, but really, therein lies the distinction. Once you get underneath the meaning of occult and cult, you find uh, the problem between divinization, magic, witchcraft, tarot cards, and all the rest, to what it truly means to talk about a cult, how one worships. Right? As Christians, we belong to a cult. It's okay to say that insofar as we belong to the, the one true worship of God. Right? If you were to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when he was tilling the soil, the Hebrew there is abodah. Abodah. That is the Hebrew for cultus. Right? He is tilling the garden. He's caring for uh, what has been put before him, this beautiful Garden of Eden. And as such, that is his worship. That is his offering. Okay, so I think a necessary point to make. Oh, by the way, while we're on this uh, language thing, <laughs> what does the word exorcism mean? You have heard me talk a great deal about the significance of entering into a covenant oath with God, and this is what we do in the sacramental life of the church. Exorcism comes from the Greek exorcia, which literally translates as to oath out. In other words, if one is possessed, they have bound themselves to a curse, and you can only be lifted from that curse if you have been de-oathed, if you will, from that curse by the power of God. Okay? Now, we were talking about these occultic practices, and as we are, what we are made to understand is that the devil uses deception to pull people away from God. Uh, one example is people who wear shiny stones around their necks, thinking it is going to transmit some sort of cosmic energy into them thereby spiritually enhancing their lives. Brothers and sisters, that is deeply problematic. Again, in the Catholic Church, we have many sacramentals, and we have them because they are reminders of who we belong to, Jesus Christ, the one true God. But if we see these sacramentals as less than what they actually are, well, the devil's deception is beginning to work. If we wear and adorn ourselves with signs and symbols that are those that belong to Satan, then we are more than just being duped about what are good Catholic sacramentals. We are now tapping into something that is primordially evil. Primordially evil. What do we read in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 3? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay. What about the power of, of witchcraft? I wanted to, to speak to one last thing here, and it is this topic of witchcraft. You know, last year, many of us read about witches who gathered around the country to begin a ritualistic attack against President Donald Trump. And I was one among many that said, this is no game. It is an essential point to highlight that witchcraft is very real and a very powerful form of black magic. Witches are real. 
Father Gabriel Moore, the very popular exorcist, he's written a number of books, he's a real authority on exorcism, said this, Just as Christ gave his apostles and their followers specific powers for the good of the body and the soul, so Satan gives specific powers to his followers for the destruction of the body and the soul. That's Father Morth. So we can, I think, see then that witchcraft is a much darker form of the occult that I was just speaking to. It is real, my friends, and it can cause great harm and even death to the innocent who are attacked by it. Father Morth has highlighted a number of other aspects to the occult. Satanism is at the top what is Satanism? Satanism is the worship of Satan, and really it is one of the most powerful forms of witchcraft. Um, Satanists perform rituals and, and black masses in mockery of the Catholic Church, in mockery of the Eucharist. We also know that there is something called voodoo and santeria, which are, are a mix of Catholicism and African magic. Again, we witness a mockery of the Catholic faith and its practices. Many of us are familiar with Wicca. Uh, Wiccans do not believe in the devil, but they focus on the earth and the goddess worship. So while not a, a worship of Satan per se, certainly an occult that takes up a false god. Uh, and in saying that, it doesn't mean that Wicca is any less dangerous because they are still calling on evil spirits to do their bidding, whether they acknowledge that or not. So in the end, my friends, what we were made to see is that this is something real, that is divinization, that is magic, that is the occult, that is the new age, and we have to be aware of it. My intention this evening was to make us more aware of the reality that is the occult, because it is that important to us. Now I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. I think for tomorrow, I'm going to get into uh, verse, what is it, 33, and that'll kickstart our, our reflection because in that verse, so my honesty will answer for me later, I think there's a much deeper truth we have to be present to. All right, okay. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, observations about anything I have talked about this evening, especially as it relates to the occult and the New Age movement, uh, this was just a broad brushstroke. Please do not hesitate to send me your email. You can go to J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com, or as always, just go to my website at joelcraft.org and, and hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. Okay? All right, very good. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.